great God and Father in Heaven, we thank you so much for each new day we are given, for new opportunities to grow and strengthen our relationship and character. We pray that you be with us today and with those who are sick and need of your healing answer. So we ask for your inspiration on today's sermon, plus speaking and hearing, that we may give you honor always. We ask these things as we know Amen. Okay, we're now for the sermon, and the rest of the service, Daryl Henson. Well, good afternoon to all of you. I, it's sad that we still can't meet together and be together in fellowship in the way that we always have, but God's quarantine laws are certainly there for our benefit. He knew uh, from the time he created mankind that there would be sicknesses and illnesses and problems. And he had Moses institute those rules so that people wouldn't spread from one to another. And our nation has certainly been uh, facing a great deal of infection, and it's going to get worse because one-third of us will die of famine and pestilence. Uh, famine brings on pestilence, but some of the pestilence has been brought on before too much famine has even hit us by man-made means and on purpose. But they are also now beginning to make more noise about restricting the food supply and cutting off supply lines, and that will lead to more death, more sickness and death, than we have experienced so far, and on a much greater scale of what we have. So uh, things are getting worse, and as I said last week, uh, and it's still somewhat on my mind, is I don't know how much God will cause us to go through along with the world around us before he does make his separation. But there are so many scriptures that say he will make that separation, that he will take care of his people and see to it that these diseases and so on that are coming uh, in a much greater form than what we've seen so far will not come upon us. So we are suffering somewhat in the meantime and have had quite a few sick. Uh, of course, Charnel is still uh, very, very much in our prayers. I think all of us if she is still in critical condition. Uh, the report I got this morning was that the COVID seems to be subsiding somewhat, but her lungs are still not working, and they're having to keep her on very high flow oxygen in order to, to sustain her. And when they do wake her up, uh, her heart rate goes higher, so they try to keep her pretty much sedated in order to keep it down at a, a reasonable, at least, level. So she is not out of the woods and certainly needs our prayers, and I know God is very concerned that we don't know exactly what he has in mind, but uh, we know he has her best interests in mind and that he loves her as we do. So uh, we will continue our prayers for one who is very ill because when one part of the body suffers, the rest suffer with it. And I know that we all love Charnel a great deal and all that she brings and all that she uh, has done in the past will do in the future. So let's keep her very deeply in mind. So is suffering with some fever uh, today she didn't have fever, I guess, before, but does have some today. So she's still ill as well as that Ivan is fighting it down in Mexico. He went down to be with his mother and, and help in that situation, and then he got sick. So we're not out of the woods yet, and Christy and Ivan can certainly use our prayers. Uh, Daphne, Daphne and, and Evan and that family seemed to be getting much better. I, I saw Evan and Daphne out taking care of Christie's animals this morning, so good to see them up and all moving around. 
So we've had a, a lot of sickness, and we want to prevent as much as we can do our part to help not... I guess we're stuck with the phone for now, but at least we do have that, so that is a blessing. I find it interesting now as we get to the book of Nahum in this series on the Minor Prophets. This is a burden against Nineveh or Assyria, and it comes at a time which is very interesting to me because I do see a lot of positive signs that these end-time events are going to uh, increase in speed as we're drawing very, very near to uh, much more difficult times and hopefully better times for God's uh, true believers and followers. But Nahum is a, a burden against Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria anciently, and uh, Assyria then is also mentioned within the book, not just the capital of it, but it's the whole nation, that whole people. Uh, I did see to this week, uh, I guess it was two or three days ago, a short video of Prince Charles speaking. And it was a very, very interesting thing, and it only appeared on the Steve Quayle side for a short time. I saw it, and I was going to go back to it, listen to it again, and maybe uh, even record it or something to pass along to you, and it was gone. It was taken down off the Internet, but it was a preach, uh, a speech, by Prince Charles of England, who is in line to be king and could be any day with the age of his mother or abdication or whatever. But he was speaking of the new world order or the new system that needs to be put in to improve things in the world. Now, he has been an advocate of the new world order for a long time. And there is a certain percentage of people who have looked at Prince Charles as possibly being the beast. Uh, I've read of books about it, seen other books about it that I haven't read, and showing that his name adds up to 666 and so on. So I don't know that he is the man. Uh, there's been speculation out in the world about that for many, many, many years. But what he did say, was that he, not speaking necessarily of himself, he didn't put it that way, he was speaking third person if he was referring to himself, but the way he put it, it sounds very strongly like he knows who the leader will be. And speaking of that leader, he said he will need a formidable army and he will need trillions of dollars to accomplish this change to the new way. Uh, there were a couple of people who were analyzing what he was saying, and it was very, very clear that he was referring to he who is to come. So he knows, whether it's him or someone else, who the beast is. And he was referring to him and what he would need, and the way he put it sounded just like he knew who he was talking about as a personality, not just as a figure, let's say, in the book of Revelation somewhere. I found that to be rather astounding, and perhaps even more astounding, that as soon as he had gotten that message out in his speech, it didn't take very long for it to be taken off the Internet. I don't know how long it might have been up or when the speech was actually given, but it was quite recently, and they just simply took it down. So it must not be quite time to announce who it is, but I think we have been seeing the beast power arising through uh, COVID and the shots and everything that is occurring that is going to cause an awful lot of death and destruction 
So this thing is in the works, and I think that it is not long before the leadership will be announced and we will know who the personalities are. So it is interesting that we come to the book of Nahum along about this time, and it talks about the Assyrian and what he will do to Israel in many places. And it also mentions that the Assyrian will be punished for what he does to Israel. Now this harkens back to the book of Jonah, which we went through just a few weeks ago, where Jonah knew those prophecies. He knew that Assyria was scheduled to destroy Israel. And he did not want Nineveh to repent because he wanted to see Nineveh and the Assyrian destroyed so that they couldn't bring war and defeat Israel. Well, that was his real objection to what God told him to do. God wanted to give the Assyrians opportunity to repent. And indeed they did. It's just that they did not repent for very long. Uh, the name Nahum means comforter, or it can mean consolation and vengeance. Now, the book of Nahum is here to comfort some people as to what is coming. And we'll see who that is in a little bit. And it's not Israel itself. Uh, except, and unless, maybe they, those who survive would be comforted to know that the Assyrian really is going to be punished for what he's done to Israel. And keep in mind that these minor, prophet, minor prophets, and indeed all the prophecies, are in time as their final fulfillment. Some of them have been fulfilled in part, or in a minor way, but they're going to be fulfilled completely and totally here at the end. And that's what Nahum is talking about, is his final destruction of the Assyria. Now let's go back for a few moments to Isaiah uh, and kind of lay a little background here for this. Now we've been here before. There is a prophecy in Isaiah 7 of a conspiracy against uh, the house of David. And it is used as a model for what will happen here at the end time. And he does say here that Ephraim, who was part of the conspiracy, would not be a people after about 65 years. And I've told you before, uh, I looked at... When this 65 years could have begun, and came up with 1954 with the first meeting of the Bilderbergers, and 65 years later would be uh, 2019. Now it is interesting that COVID was introduced on our nation toward the end of 2019, and into 2020 then, uh, we became a people separated from each other by social distancing, by masks, by political party uh, and people on the far left and the right getting to be more and more enemies and it has continued in that trend more and more as each bud has gone by until we're at each other's throats and ready for civil war. So as far as this nation, in that sense, being a problem to God's people, it isn't really at this point, and I don't think will be, because we cannot unite to do anything, and certainly not unite to fight World War III, because our military is being destroyed before our very eyes, and... China and Russia have gotten ahead of us in the arms race and in the technological part of it to the point we could not even put up a decent effort against them.
So Ephraim, in about 65 years, began to be unimportant on the world scene as far as a true power, because we can't get together to do anything, and will not ever again in this day and age. But he talks about here, in this context, the church bringing forth Emmanuel, virgin conceiving, and bringing forth uh, the Christ child, who at some point is going to come and be God with us, not just God is salvation, which is what Jesus or Joshua means, but Emmanuel, God with us, and we know that he is going to come and dwell with his remnant spiritual church at the end, as Zechariah very clearly says, during the time of the remnant of the two witnesses. So that's what we are striving to do, is bring forth not Jesus in that sense, but Emmanuel, who will come and dwell with us. And he shows it will be a very short time uh, from the time that Ephraim fulfills that 65 years before Christ does appear. And I think then, that being said, it will not be long until we see these things coming to pass. I do believe we saw the 430 years end in 2017, and the 70 years of Jeremiah in 2017, and judgment passed on us uh, as per Amos 8 in 2017 in the fall when that eclipse went over. And Ezekiel told us it would be very near after that, not a long, long time like echoing of the mountains, but it has come, it is near, he said about a dozen times. And as we know, the 70 years ended uh, when Daniel was in captivity uh, in Babylon, and about three years later is when they got around to building the temple. So uh, with that in the background, we know that these things are very, very near as we see the nation going down, as we see the beast arising, getting more powerful, and probably its leadership will become obvious in the fairly near future. But here, going on a little bit, uh, in chapter 7, it talks about the Assyrian coming and being a bee, and us having, as a nation, the Assyrian come in against us. And he says that if God throws a challenge here in chapter 8 and tells these nations that are going to be a coalition against America to associate themselves and gather themselves together, but he would tear them in pieces in verse 9. And then he talks about the church, about God being with us, or Emmanuel, and tells us not to worry about the conspiracy or the confederacy, but to fear him instead, because he is the one who will save us. If you go on down through verse 20 and see all that is said there, he's clearly showing a difference between the destruction of the nation and the protection of his people. He talks about that more uh, in chapter 9, verse 2, he talks about dwelling in the land of the shadow of death. And verse 6, a child born to us, which is what we've been trying to do, is bring forth Christ in our character, in our living. And we have fallen short and just brought forth wind, as another place in Isaiah says. But this thing is actually going to happen, and Christ is going to be brought forth. Chapter 10, verse 5, he talks about, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. And I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit he means not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. So the Assyrian is the one we're looking for. Uh, 
verse 24 of chapter 10, he says, uh, Therefore thus says the eternal God of hosts, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite you with a rod and lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. So he says the Assyrian is coming to destroy the nation. The Assyrian will try to harm God's people who dwell in Zion, but he will uh, cause that to cease. Of course, when we see the armies gathered about Jerusalem, as Matthew 24 and Daniel say, we are to flee to Zion to, to get away from the beast or the Assyrian, and then we'll be protected. So he's going to come after the church as well. And, of course, that ties in with Revelation 12, where when Satan is finally cast down to the earth, God will not listen to him anymore. He immediately comes after the church, and she goes into her hiding place in Zion. So it's at the same time of Matthew 24 that this is talking about, and Satan will make his last play against the church at that time. And he does tell us after we get into the wilderness there in Micah 4 and 5 that the Assyrian will come after us, but seven, even eight principal men will go out and send the Assyrian packing. So the nation is not going to get out from under it, but the remnant of the church is. And of course, Micah is right there in the context of what we're reading right now. Uh, we just were in uh, Micah last week, in fact, and it shows how the Assyrian there will come against the church. He will be uh, sent away but that he is going to destroy Israel. You get to the end of the book, uh, chapter 7, shows that God will turn again and he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So you and I are striving to have the character of God, to do things God's way, to think things God's way, and yet we fall far short, and we still do have sins that we commit day in and day out in our minds, if not our hands. And God is going to have compassion and overlook and forgive, because if he was waiting for us to become perfect <laughs> before he did any of these things, it never happened. So he's not waiting for that. He does say in Isaiah 54 that our righteousness will be of him, not our self-righteousness, which is all we have at the moment, uh, plus a little bit of his righteousness imparted by his spirit as we seek him. But for the most part, as human beings, we tend to be self-righteous, and having that supplanted with his spirit is going to take some true miracles where he fills us with his spirit. So let's get on into Nahum here a little bit. Uh, it says the burden of Nineveh, or the prophecy against Nineveh, or the Assyrian, the book of vi the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. Now, Elko, or Elkos, apparently was a small town in Galilee, I find it interesting. We have uh, on the kind of the edge of the original promised land, Elko, Nevada, spelled the same in the King James as Elko is. Uh, so some of those names are with us to this day. Not that that's where uh, Nahum was from, but the name is still here in this nation. And he is a comforter and a consolation for God's people, as we shall see. So here's the message then, verse 2. God is jealous, and the eternal revenges. So what he says to Nineveh and the Assyrian is, You will have destroyed my people Israel. 
And it is very plain, I think, today that God is going to cause the times of the Gentiles to occur, and that is 42 months, as stated. 42 months for the times of the Gentiles, which coincides with the three and a half years of the two witnesses preaching to the whole world. America and Israel will have been destroyed by then by the Gentile nations. And they will then rule the earth for 42 months. But God is jealous, and he will bring vengeance. We know the two witnesses will beat up on the nations and the beast and the false prophet uh, and cause all kinds of miracles and plagues and even fire coming from their mouth to destroy any who would hurt them for three and a half years. So the beast will have power and the false prophet over the whole earth except for the two preachers and the remnant of the church of God. They are the only ones who will not come under the rulership and leadership of the beast power and their pharmacaeus and even as they get a tighter grip on the money as well, you won't be able to buy and sell without taking the mark. And it says the whole world will except those few whom God protects, and he will feed them. Isaiah 55 says, come and have milk and wine without money. So God will provide for his people uh, since they can't buy and sell and can't be a part of the world's commerce anymore. And we already see that division being done in Austria and Australia, and they're going to crack down some more here again. It's just going to get worse and worse. But God is watching all this, and he, after the times of the Gentiles are finished, will come upon them with great fury, with the seven last plagues, and then he'll bring his bride with him at the end of their honeymoon and put down all the power that still remains and break their knees if they will not bow them. That's what he says in the book of Revelation. He'll come on a horse with his vesture dripped in blood and his saints with him. Once we are with Christ and marry him, he will not go anywhere without us. Up to heaven, back to earth, and finally back to earth where we will rule with him for a thousand years and then on and through eternity, but rule over those humans who are left for a thousand years and then over the great white throne judgment. But here he is then speaking of that time when he is going to destroy the Gentiles and the Assyrian and all of those who followed him, the beast and the false prophet. That's what this is talking about. He is jealous and he will have his reign, revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the eternal says the eternal revenges and is furious. The eternal will take vengeance on his adversaries and reserves wrath for his enemies. So all those Gentile nations who have destroyed Israel and gone Satan's way and against God, he is going to take care of. It says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. So his anger builds slowly, but when his anger is there, he's not going to back off. He will be great in power, and he's not going to acquit or dismiss the great sin that the uh, rest of the world has perpetrated against Israel. Don't you see this forming uh, before our very eyes? We see in this nation all kinds of propaganda about how the white man is bad and that just by being born we're bad uh, and it's all for the other nations that are not white people to be in charge and that they should be at the forefront. Very strong racism against white people now is coming to the forefront and that will get worse and worse all the way through 
the times of the Gentiles, that 42 months. Anyway, let's go on with what God is going to do. Uh, second half of verse 3, The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He's above it all. He's bigger than it all. He controls it all. He's letting Satan control weather right now, prince of the power of the air. He's letting him rule the earth right now. But when he takes over, he will take over completely. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. And dries up all the rivers. Bashan languishes, and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languish. So even the parts of Israel languish as a result of the destruction that the Assyrian, the beast power, has brought upon our nation and nations. And God sees all this, and he's going to take care of it uh, in his way. The mountains quake at him. The hills melt and the earth is burned in his presence. Yes, the world and all that dwell therein. Seven last plagues are going to come on what is left of the populace of the earth. And Daniel tells us there will only be a hundred million out of eight and a half billion that survive to go on into the millennium. So that's how great the devastation will be by the time Christ comes. And God is behind all this. He's letting Satan do the dirty work, as usual. But he's behind it all. And it is his great power that finishes the job when Christ returns with his saints. Verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. Now, who is he speaking of there? Who is he good to? Who is he a stronghold to in the day of trouble? Those that trust him. Do the people of the nations of Israel today trust God? Do they look to his strength or do they look to their military? Do they look to their drug people for healing and health? I just read a statistic the other day that since the vaccines have been administered, the incidence of death among airline pilots has gone up 1,700%, dying of heart attacks and uh, strokes and that kind of thing as a result of the vac vaccinations. 1,700% death increase among pilots. So are they looking to God? No, they're not. Who are? The remnant of the church, with the leadership of the two, are the ones who trust God and will flee to Zion when they see Jerusalem here, surrounded by the beast power. So in this burden against Nineveh, who will, who will destroy our nation? He's addressing the people of God to whom he is going to protect in the day of trouble. And that's limited to the remnant who come to build the temple and to build Jerusalem before the beast takes it over. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Doesn't he even say in Revelation 12 that when the army of the beast comes after those who are fleeing to Zion that they, he will send a flood after them and destroy them. So he's talking about the same thing here. What do you imagine against the eternal? That was asked back in Micah. Didn't we read that? What, what do you have against me, God says? Why won't you do what I say? What do you imagine against the eternal? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Well, God says, when I put them down this time, it's over. So their imaginations of worshiping Satan and denying God are going to come down on them very hard. For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, 
they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. He said, compared to God, it's like they've been gathered up and put in bundles as thorns to be burned, or like drunkards who stagger about and fall on their face and aren't very effective. You don't see drunkards doing anything very effectively except maybe puke. So they're nothing before God and will be devoured as stubble, fully dry, uh, burns up real easy, catches fire easy. There is, <laughs> there is one come out of you that imagines evil against the eternal, a wicked counselor. Thus says the eternal, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. So their leader uh, is evil against the eternal, a wicked counselor. Well, number one, that's Satan, but the beast and the false prophet uh, maybe the beast here or the false prophet, I don't know which, is being referred to specifically as the evil counselor of the Gentiles. But their leadership is not going to help them when God takes over. So they could be quiet as a mouse, uh, and there could be a lot of them, but they're going to be cut down anyway. For now will I break his yoke from off you, and will burst your bonds in sunder. Now, he says there, we read in Isaiah, that they will try to afflict us, as in the manner of Egypt, for a short while. And the only ones that he is protecting from them were mentioned in verse 7. Those who trust in him. And he is going to break their yoke off us and burst their bonds in sunder. And the Lord has given a commandment concerning you that no more of your name be sown. Out of the house of your gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. So he's breaking their yoke off of us, but he considers them vile, and he will destroy them. Then he mentions the church again specifically. Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, O Judah, keep your solemn feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now this is mentioned in Isaiah 52, where it talks about uh, bringing the gospel of Christ. And it says that the two, the two witnesses, will see eye to eye when the eternal turns around his approach to the remnant of the church. In other words, as we repent and he lifts the spewing that he has done and brings his remnant, stirs them to come and build the temple, uh, the two will then see eye to eye. So he says, go ahead and keep the feast. Perform our vows. We have made vows before God to follow him to follow Christ and to do as he did and live as he lived and to do all the things in this book, to live by every word of God. So he says all this is going on. Israel as a nation is being destroyed, all the Israelite nations. And only the remnant of the church remains, and they are to keep God's feast and keep all the vows they have made before God, and he will protect them. They'll be in their place of refuge, he says in Isaiah at another place. Enter into your chambers and be protected during this time. Now he will be a covert from the heat and a wall of fire around the church. <laughs> Chapter 2, he that dashes in pieces, that would be the Assyrian, is come up before your face. We saw that there in uh Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and 10, we saw it in the book of Micah, how they'll come up to our face and be repelled. 
keep the munition, watch the way, make your loins strong, fortify your power mightily. Didn't we see there in Micah 4 that he is going to make the church a sharp threshing machine? So that's the same thing back in Isaiah 40 or 41 where it's talking about uh, comforting God's people and, and bringing peace to the church. So he tells us to be strong. And doesn't he tell us uh, there in Zephaniah and other places when we are to be building the temple and building Jerusalem in 70 weeks that we are to be strong, to be of good courage, and to work. He's telling us here to be strong. For the Eternal has turned away the excellency of Jacob. Now this is poorly translated uh, the Hebrew actually says the Eternal has turned away the pride of Jacob and the pride of Israel. For the tempters have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. So he's saying Israel has gone down. He's taken away their pride. They will be destroyed by the Assyrian. The only ones protected are those who will follow through on the vows we made to God at baptism. The shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the fir tree shall be terribly shaken. The chariots will rage in the streets. They'll jostle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run like the lightning. Sounds like the book of Joel and some of our mechanized warfare today. Maybe robots with it. <clears throat> he shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof. And the defense shall be prepared. The gates of the river shall be opened. And the palace shall be dissolved. Now this is a burden against Nineveh. It's not talking about Israel here. But it's talking about the destruction of the Assyrians. Or the world leadership led by the Assyrian who will cut off nations, not a few. All Israel, if you will. Palace will be dissolved, and Huzad shall be led away captive. That was the queen of Assyria at that time. She shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, tabering upon their breasts. So she's led into captivity, perhaps her eyes put out, so she has to be led by her maids. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Now what is a pool of water? If you're in a dry land, a pool of water is a welcome place. It's a place of revival. It's a, an oasis for those who would need uh, water, who would need sustenance. And this new world order is going to rise up as an oasis for the world and tell them, if you will just follow us, we will take care of you. We will feed you. You will have no problems. You will own nothing and you will like it that way. Communism, socialism, fascism, all combined in a final world government led by Satan the devil and with the beast and the false prophet as the two human leaders that he has. God, I mean, Satan counterfeits what God does. God said, I will have two witnesses, because throughout Scripture, you had to have two or even three witnesses before someone could be condemned. So God is going to send two witnesses out to preach repentance, to preach the way of God, to preach who God is instead of Satan, the devil, and the beast, and false prophet. And God is going to give them fair warning before he dashes in pieces. So they have stood up as a pool of water. But it's not going to be like that. They shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. It's like uh, an army suddenly turns pale and runs. 
And the leaders will say, stand, stand. No, not before God. Not when God decides to bring vengeance. He is not going to back off. He will not acquit the wicked. It says verse 9, Take you the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold. There is none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. Now, God says in Haggai, the gold and the silver are mine for building the temple. But we know after the temple is built, after Jerusalem is built, the beast and the false prophet will come in with their armies. The church will have to run for Zion, and they will take it over. And they will then have God's silver and God's gold and his pleasant furniture. The things of God will go to them just like God allowed the Philistines to take over the Ark of the Covenant. But it didn't last long, and it won't with these people either. They're going to think they have the world by the tail when they cause the church to flee to Zion. But the witnesses will come out of there every day and make their lives very unpleasant until God decides to, at the end of the times of the Gentiles, destroy them. So, speaking of Assyria then, verse 10, She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melts, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Sounds like the book of Revelation, doesn't it? When God brings all these trumpet plagues on what is left of the world. Where is the dwelling place of the lions, those who thought they were big and strong and tough, and the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions dwelt, and none made them afraid? They'll be ruling the world. The only ones that can cause them any fear at all would be the two witnesses, and when they kill them in the streets of Jerusalem, they're going to think they have whipped God. Three and a half daters, days later, they'll learn differently. The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps. The, the Assyrian Empire, the beast, the false prophet, will have conquered the world. And especially Israel. He strangled for his lionesses and filled his holes with prey and his dens with raven. They've had plenty to eat, plenty to do, plenty to rule over. But they haven't encountered God in his power yet. Verse 13, Behold, I am against you, says the eternal of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions, and I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no more be heard. Then in chapter 3, he continues it, Woe to the bloody city. Now, this bloody city in this case is Nineveh. The Assyrian, the epitome of the power of the Gentiles. I don't think that's probably Germany anymore. I kind of think that Germany may be more Benjamin than they are Gentiles. And they have nipped at the heels of their fellow Israelites in World War One and World War Two, fulfilling that prophecy. But the Assyrian appears more to be Russia. And combined with many nations, as Psalm 83 and the Confederacy of Isaiah 7 and 8, uh, the Assyrian is the rod of God's anger here at the end. And it is a coalition of many nations who come against Israel. The times of the Gentiles, all of them, are going to come against the peoples of Israel. And I'm speaking here not of the Middle East little country, which is not Israel in the first place. It's Arabic, and they built that Jerusalem. And the Jews that are there are more Edomites than they are Jews. Uh, there are some Jews there, but it's more Edomites than Jews. But it's against all Israel, all Jacob, uh, all 12 tribes, not just against Judah. And we know where those tribes of Israel are. They're the white races, basically. Western Europe, the U.S., 
in places that we have colonized like Australia and some of South Africa and so on. So this is all of those who come against us. God will have his vengeance on them. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departs not. You know, our leadership in Washington right now is part of that system. So when you read this, you're not reading just about the Gentiles who will come to destroy us, but you're reading about our own leadership who betrays us and shakes hands and makes a deal with the enemy to take us down. So those leaders in Washington may be a lot of them Israelite in blood, but they are Gentile in nature, and they are arrayed with, behind the scenes, the powers that, were, that are forming the beast and the false prophet, even as we speak. They are the puppet masters behind the people in Washington. And Washington is full of lies and robbery, is it not? So they are working with the beast power to bring us down. That's why they help with the COVID-19 and its vaccines. And there are those in our society, the, the billionaires like Bill Gates, who are with the Gentiles and wanting to destroy America and 90% of the population. So this is speaking not only of those Gentiles, but those that are Gentile in heart who are today ruling over us. So it's the beast that's bringing this on us. It's not Ephraim. Ephraim, as a nation, is done. It's those who are working with the beast behind the scenes who are helping destroy us from within, as Jeremiah 50 and 51 clearly show. Verse 2, the noise of a whip. Isn't Palsy using a whip on us? <laughs> Won't these leaders of the Gentiles, when they appear, be using a whip on us? The noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the crazy prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifts up both the bright sword and the glittering spear, and there's a multitude of slain and a great number of corpses or carcasses, and there's none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. So God is going to do a great destruction upon the Gentile nations for what they do to Israel, and that is his vengeance and revenge against them for what they have done. This is what Jonah wanted to happen to Assyria. And they repented temporarily and went back to being the Assyrian again and are going to destroy our nations here at the end time. And the Edomite is going to be right in the middle of it, hating his brother Jacob or Esau, the Edomite, as the book of Obadiah clearly shows. They also will be punished in the manner of this punishment of Assyria. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that sells nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Now this could have been applied to this nation, who is the mother of Babylon at the moment, uh, but will be destroyed. So it is not just this nation who has destroyed us with our pharmaceuticals, uh, as shown there in Revelation 18, but these Gentile peoples, this coalition against America, was working hand-in-hand hand with them to sell nations down the drain, and by use of the witchcrafts or pharmacaea or drugs, destroying people. Hortons and families through her witchcrafts. And it is witchcraft what they are doing to us with COVID-19 and the vaccinations and those boosters and all the things that they are going to bring on us on top of that to cause famine and pestilence. So the people who've gone along with it to help sell us out and those who are behind the scenes who are really the ones doing it, 
are going to be punished. Behold, I am against you, says the Eternal of hosts, and I will discover your skirts upon your face, and I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. So he likens the great whore America, who has, will be destroyed, then he likens the nations of the world to a whore as well. He tells our nation there in Deuteronomy and other places that our women will be made naked and uh, their babies destroyed and so on. He's going to turn around and do the same thing to the world, like a woman who has her dress blown up over her face and everybody can see everything. He's going to do that to the Assyrian world empire under Satan, just as they have done to us as Israelites. What goes around comes around, and God's going to do the same thing to that great harlot that remains once the leader harlot today, the U.S., is gone. Verse 6, And I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile, and will set you as a gazing stock. Everyone who is left will see the beast and false prophet taken by the nap of the neck and thrown into the fire and the death and destruction of her armies. It shall come to pass that all they that look upon you shall flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. She's no longer a welcome pool to go to. She's become waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for you? There's nobody around who's going to care. Everybody's going to run at that point. Are you better than populous No, that was situated among the rivers that had the waters round about? His rampart was the sea and her wall was from the sea. Are you better? Well, they're going to think with great vanity they're the greatest thing that has ever walked the earth. The beast, the false prophet, and all those underneath them. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Egypt represents the whole world, really, Satan's system. And that strength was infinite. Didn't Prince Charles just say that the beast is going to need a formidable army and trillions of dollars to do his work? Yes, he is. Verse 10 but in spite of it, yet was she carried away, she went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. So they auctioned them off as slaves, just as we are going to be auctioned off as slaves shortly as a nation. Though she shall be drunken, you shall be, though also, or you also shall be drunken, you shall be hid, you also shall seek strength because of the enemy. All your strongholds shall be like big trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. So the world is going to say we are strong, we are powerful, we're ruling the earth, and Satan is behind that and will still have that attitude. So like you would shake a fig tree, you'll shake the soldiers of the New World Order down to the ground, and they'll fall in the mouth of the eater. Well, who's going to be eating them at that point? Christ is. He's going to be wreaking the final vengeance through the seven last plagues. Behold your people in the midst of you are women. The gates of your land shall be set wide open to your enemies. The fire shall devour your bars. Draw you waters for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. You know, build yourselves up. That's what he throws that at them there in, in Isaiah 8. Associate yourselves. Make your deals. Do your conspiracy. It's not going to help you. Draw waters for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar, make strong the brick kiln. Just 
summon up all the strength you can find. There shall the fire devour you. The sword shall cut you off. It shall eat you up like the canker worm. Make yourself many as the canker worm. Make yourself many as the locusts. Almost sounds like here that some of the world may turn on each other. You know how it was with Gideon in the 300 when the Assyrian or uh, the Midianites in that story got up in the dark and started slaying each other. So the Gentiles may turn upon each other as part of the plague that God sends upon them. Kind of sounds like that here. Verse 16, you have multiplied your merchants above the stars of heaven. They will introduce their new world currency, and they will promote the big corporations and multiply their merchants above the stars of heaven. They're just going to look like their powerful beast. Uh, money system will be higher than God. But the canker worm spoils and flies away. You're crowned, or as the locusts, ones that they have as leaders. And your captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun arises, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. So they're going to disappear like insects. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles shall dwell in the dust. Your people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathers them. God is just going to wreak a vengeance like none has ever been before. There is no healing of your bruise. Your wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of you shall clap the hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? You know that hundred million that survived the seven last plagues and are still alive at the beginning of the millennium will have had their fill of the beast and the false prophet. They will have had their fill of Satan. They're going to be humbled and their pride gone. And when Christ comes to rule in peace and in love, most are going to accept it. And they will not look to the brute of the beast and to Satan anymore. He will be bound and will not bring evil anymore. So Nahum really, in some respects, is a very comforting book, uh, especially for those who will obey God, those that trust in Him, and those that bring good tidings of peace to God's remnant people, there to go in and obey and not be cut off anymore. But the nations of Israel as a physical people are certainly going to be cut off. One-third going to captivity. I mean, one-third die of famine and pestilence. One-third by the sword. One-third going to captivity and a sword drawn after them, Ezekiel 5. And this is all coming at the end of the 430 years, shortly thereafter. And that ended, I believe, in 2017 in the fall. And here we are a short time later not a nation anymore. We are divided. We couldn't screw in a light bulb as a nation, to use that analogy. We've had it. We're done. <laughs> we're being sold out by our leadership, and we're in utter confusion as a people, not knowing what to do or how to solve it, how to, how to make it be a people again. We don't know how to do it. Nobody has an answer. There is no answer. And the Assyrian is on his way. It will not be long until Prince Charles or somebody will be revealed as the beast, or Prince Charles may reveal who it is. I don't know how it will come out, but it will come out pretty soon now, because you don't have this beast forming around us right now and beginning to kill us without it coming into sight pretty soon. So our destruction will come. God's people, his church, the faithful ones, will be taken to a place of safety. 
and preach against the Assyrian for three and a half years, and then the Assyrian is going to be punished, as the book of Nahum clearly shows. And that brings us down to the book of Habakkuk, which shows some of the difficulty that God's people have been going through and will be going through as this scenario gets hotter and we are waiting for God's deliverance, which is where we are now. And we'll get into Habakkuk next week, God willing, because there is some hope there. Uh, it mentions again the Chaldee and the Assyrian coming against our peoples. And Habakkuk is saying, Habakkuk saying, what do I do when all this comes down? So we'll get to that story next week, God willing.